This is episode four of The Investor's Podcast. Broadcasting from Bel Air, Maryland, this is The Investor's Podcast. They'll take complex things and make them seem insanely simple. They make your boring drive to work feel exhilarating. They give you actionable investing strategies. Your host, Preston Pish and Stig Broderson. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is uh, Preston Pish, and I'm your host for The Investor's Podcast. And today, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Stig Broderson, and we have a special guest, Hari Ramachandra. So, Hari, uh, let's go ahead and just kick this thing off. Uh, give us a, a quick introduction of who you are. And before we do that, Hari, I just want to uh, open up and tell everybody how uh, we know each other here. Um, so, uh, last May, whenever I was at the Berkshire Hathaway uh, shareholders meeting, um, I was in the airport getting ready to fly out of Omaha, and I bumped into this uh, gentleman, uh, Hari Ramachandra. And him and I were starting to chat. Uh, he was wearing a LinkedIn jacket, and I was asking him about his background. And he's a uh, an executive over at uh, LinkedIn and was with the company at the start of uh, whenever they first launched. And um, so Hari and I just kind of kicked it off and just started talking there in the airport. And um, it turns out that we had a lot of interest in common, and we've just kind of stayed in contact over email uh, since that time. And so um, recently, Hari went to a shareholders meeting for a uh, individual by the name of Monish Pabrai. And uh, Monish is a uh, follower of value investing, particularly the uh, same uh, type of investing that Warren Buffett does. And so uh, Hari went out to his shareholders meeting. And what we're going to discuss in this episode is what Hari's experience was like whenever he was at that shareholders meeting. So uh, Hari, go ahead and tell us about yourself and we'll just uh, start right there. Thank you, Preston. Um, uh, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, uh, it's, it's fun to be talking to you guys both today. As you said, like you know, we met in Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting. In fact, while we were just getting heading back home. Um, to answer your question, um, as you mentioned, I've, I've been in the software industry for past fifteen years, um, and I, I work at LinkedIn. But the way I got introduced to stock market was early in my career. Um, I got some stock options, and I had no idea what to do. Uh, and I saw everybody around me trading. Software engineers are not great investors, by the way. They're, they're brilliant <laughs> folks, but uh, they're not usually great investors. And most of the time, uh, we we try to, or we at least uh, kid ourselves that some skills are portable. So we think that we are good at coding, so we, we are good at investing as well. So uh, I just followed the herd um, around me. I started trading. I did charting. I did options. I did I did all things. And most of the time, I lost money. And fortunately, I didn't have much money to lose then. <laughs> um, but um, even when I made money, I didn't know how I did because it felt like random luck most of the time. Yeah. Um, around that time, uh, with uh, when I was so frustrated about all all the uh, money I had lost, uh, I got introduced to Warren Buffett uh, by one of my friends. Uh -huh. I picked up a couple of his books and I got hooked. Uh, I read more. I read uh, books that he recommended, like The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. And uh, and that's how I got introduced uh, to the world of uh, value investing. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, you, you made a point there initially about, um, you know, software engineers, uh, mathematical type people having 
trouble initially. And I, th- I can empathize with that because I know whenever I first started out, and I think Stig can probably agree with this, is that whenever you first started out, you're very analytical and you're just going by the numbers. Once you kind of figure out how the math and all that kind of works with investing, you're by the numbers and you're not doing anything with like this quality type feel to it. And as you know, I know personally for myself is as I continue to learn more, you really have an appreciation for you just can't plug numbers into some calculator and get the answer of I need to buy this stock. There's a lot more to it and there's a lot more quality with brands and goodwill and all that kind of stuff that I think a lot of people don't really um I don't know, give give credit due to that kind of stuff. You made a very good point. In fact, um the problem with most of us engineers is that we love precision, but many times we confuse precision with accuracy. Yes. So I think Buffett has famously said, uh, or maybe it was uh, uh, John Menard Keynes, uh, that it's important to be in the right direction, even if you are like in you know, a few meters off. But if you are going north instead of south, yeah. then all bets are off. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, okay, so... Uh so that's a little bit of introduction. I think you guys can all see that Hari's a pretty hardcore uh, value investor, uh, has adopted a lot of the uh, same things that Warren Buffett has adopted. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about this Monish Pabrai. Uh, and Stig, I, you know, I kind of stole your question there, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't think about it. <laughs> all right. Let's go to the, the second question here, which is, uh, Hari, who's uh, Monish Pabrai? So Monish Pabrai uh, is a value investor and a businessman. In fact, he started out his career uh, in information technology. He worked for Telabs in the early 80s before starting his own uh, software consulting company called TransTech, which he later sold um, uh, to an equity fund. So according to him, he started another venture after that, but where he lost most of his fortune And that's when he discovered Warren Buffett. And he says he got hooked to value investing and he read all the books he could get hold of, uh, which was either about Warren Buffett or value investing um, in the following years. And uh, one less known fact about Manish Pabrai is that um, he in fact wrote a letter to Mr. Buffett offering to work for free without pay. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, Buffett promptly responded, but politely declined. Uh, as, as, yeah, as Buffett says, you know, when he wants uh, an opinion on his um, um, investing decisions, he looks at the mirror. He doesn't want any uh, <laughs> investing help. It's funny. That's uh, what Ben Graham did to Buffett. He he uh, he turned him down on the initial offer, is my understanding, is that Buffett offered the work for free and Graham kind of turned him down. And then later on, he ended up working for him. But it's, it's kind of ironic that the... A similar story. Yeah, definitely. And maybe Pabrai was not as persistent as Buffett because he then went ahead and started his own fund. Yeah, he was already a multimillionaire at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, exactly. a, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. But um, tell us, Hari, how did you get interested in Pabrai's funds? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Pabrai uh, comes from the software industry. He's a first generation um, immigrant from India. So there were a lot of uh, things in common, uh, you know, to make me curious about him. So I started reading about him and then uh, looked through his investments, his investment style, and listened to a lot of his talks. And also, I was very interested in one of his uh, philanthropic uh, projects. He calls it the Dakshina Foundation, where uh, he and his organization 
educate underprivileged kids in India uh, and help them get into the top schools in India and abroad. So a lot of these factors contributed to my curiosity about Monish and uh, his philosophy of life and investing. And that's how I started following him. I I love that. So in the show notes for this episode, we'll make sure that there's a link to uh, that fund that you're referring to there, uh, Hari. So that, awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, uh, so uh, I have a question. So I'm I'm really big on books, and I'm really big on finding somebody that I really admire, and then reading whatever book they have, or finding a book that somebody else has written about them, just so I can kind of really understand that person's thought patterns and kind of how they got to where they are. So um, I know that Pabri has a couple books out there. I have personally not read them, and I'm, I was curious if you had read any of his books. Sure. Um, there are two books out there, which are, um, I guess, on Amazon. One is The Mosaic. Uh, the other one is uh, Dando Investing. Uh, Mosaic is out of print. I have not read it. Uh, however, I have read uh, Dando Investing, which is a fascinating book. The book talks about um, the philosophy of uh, investing, mainly uh, Pabrai's philosophy of investing. He also talks about how a little-known Indian community uh, they are called the Patels. They're probably uh, less than 0.2% of the entire population of United States uh, who have immigrated here, but they control three-fourths of all the motel business in in U.S. So uh, he talks about how they operate, and uh, through that story, he introduces investing. So he connects business and investing very well together in that book. And one of the key takeaways for me in that book was my perception has always been, especially being in the Silicon Valley, that if you're an entrepreneur, you're risk savvy, you're a risk taker, you're like this Richard Branson who is ready to jump off a cliff, and like risk is in your blood. <laughs> um, but Pabrai says a true entrepreneur shies away from risk. In fact, he will do anything to reduce his risk but he will embrace uncertainty. And in his own words, uh, his tagline is, heads I win, tails I don't lose much. Yeah. So that was fascinating. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. 
That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network and the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. That's a, wow, I love the quote. That's a good quote. Stig, you look like you had something you want to say. Oh, yeah. So, um, Hari, uh, I, th- I think that you probably thought about this as well, because I've been, I've been reading up uh, on, uh, on this Monish Papari, and to be honest, I really wasn't that familiar with him before this interview. But it seems to me when I read uh, some of the things that he has written and some of the answers that he is giving to, uh, to people at the annual meeting that he's holding, that he's very much into Warren Buffett, very much into Benjamin Graham. So I'm a bit confused why someone would invest with the Popeye instead of investing with Warren Buffett. That's a great question. Um, in fact, uh, one of the things that uh, comes across when you listen to Pabrai he is uh, he's a self-proclaimed cloner. Um, he is a ardent fan of Warren Buffett, and he, he says that everywhere. In fact, he says that um, he has no original ideas, and he's proud of it. One of the reasons um, you might want to consider investing with Pabrai is that uh, his capital... Because he's uh, not 86? Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. He, he's not eighty-six, but Buffett is still going strong. It's ha- hard to beat Buffett even when he's eighty-six. Um, I don't know but, if that's his right age. Is he really eighty-six? I, I don't remember. I thought he's um, uh-huh. six years younger than Munger. So Munger is ninety plus. So he must be eighty-three or eighty-four. Okay, he's old though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, as I said, you know, like um, I, I had read a book uh, by Thomas Phillips. Uh, uh, the book is uh, 100 to 1 in Stock Market, where uh, he describes the dangers of ego in business and investing. And he says, most miseries of investors are due to their unwillingness to accept ideas other than their own. Wow. And uh, there's something to write down. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, it's, I totally agree with that. I, you know, for for a leader or for an investor, it doesn't really matter who you are or what you're doing. I mean, your ego will get in your way and it'll just crush everything. So, I mean, I can't agree with that anymore. It's awesome. Perfect. Yeah, I highly recommend that uh, the book 100 to 1 in Stock Market. I, be- I believe this was written in the 1960s, uh, but it's a great read. And uh, it talks about uh, a lot of uh, stocks that you could have bought in the 60s that would have made... Um, or kind of like you know, uh, if you had invested ten thousand dollars in those companies, it would be a million in fifteen years or twenty years. Wow! So, um, so uh, coming back to Stick's question, um, one of the advantages Pabrai has over Buffett is the law of large numbers working against Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, I would think of Pabrai as uh, Buffett in his uh, um, early years when he was um, working on his Buffett partnership. So his style is very similar to how Buffett used to invest when he used to invest for his partnership rather than investing for Berkshire Hathaway. 
And so a lot of people might not realize this, but Berkshire Hathaway has actually gotten so big and, and Buffett, you know, he says this, that he's actually starting to become handicapped because he's moving so much capital that uh, the smaller to mid cap uh, type companies, whenever he puts money into those smaller organizations, he really doesn't get that much of a, uh, a growth spurt over the whole size of his company because it's just such a small portion of his portfolio. So he's like forced to invest in these big, large cap businesses in order to get any type of, you know, 5% movement in his overall company. And so what, you know, Hari's kind of referring to here is with Pabri, you're you're able to invest in the same philosophy in the same exact way, but you're doing it on a much smaller portfolio, which allows him to have larger movement on the uh, on the fund itself. So uh, that's one of the the claims that Hari's got here with, with his response. Okay, so uh, here, I'll, um, I've got another question for you. Um, I read that the, the to get into the fund, it required a significant amount of capital in order to initiate uh, and to step into the fund. I even read as high as $2.5 million in order to step into it. I'm just kind of curious, is that true? Um, uh, you know, is, is it really require that much funds to just kind of step into it? And is there any other nuances that you'd want to highlight? Yes, it is true. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, most of his funds are close to new investors today. Uh, one of the reasons why Pabrai uh, tries to keep the uh, uh, hurdle high is that he wants to attract a specific type of investors to his funds. And his favorite target um, is a successful entrepreneur or a businessman who has made fortune in, in his own line of business. Uh, but uh, he is not investing all his nest egg with Pabrai, uh, which means he has staying power. And also he will he would not panic in and out of this office fund. So Pabrai wants to limit the churn rate and also attract the right kind of investor to his funds. Yeah. And um, in fact, uh, interestingly, when I was in the annual meeting, I met a couple of uh, investors who were his early um, investors in his funds. And uh, it was as low as uh, $200,000 to $250,000 when Pabrai started back in 1999. Um, so over the period of time, I believe he has increased the hurdle rate. Wow. Uh, limit. I mean, I, I totally understand why he would, uh, he would do that. You know, I, I get asked a lot of the times by people, you know, why don't you start your own fund and this? And, and for me, I immediately reply back, well, I don't want to be handicapped by people taking the money out of the fund at the wrong time or giving me the, the, the money at the exact wrong time with the, with the way that the market swings. And so when you have a person like Pabri who's doing this, he's, he's forcing people that are an educated uh, shareholder or educated uh, investor into his fund uh, so that they don't give him money at the wrong time or pull money out whenever he needs it most so he can buy undervalued equities. Um, that's, that's kind of a really interesting uh, approach that he was able to do this with a fund because he kept that threshold at such a high dollar amount. Would you agree with that, Hari? Yes, I do. And yeah. uh, he also has a, a restriction of uh, one year um, so that like, you know, if you invest with him, you cannot pull your funds out for the entire year. But at the end of the year, if you have any um, family emergency or if you need the money, you can always pull it out. Huh. That's really interesting. A lot of people might not realize this, but with Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett basically has the exact same model with his A shares, which encompass a majority of his entire portfolio as far as the the value. 
So his, uh, you know, when you look at his A shares, they're over $200,000 a share just to, to buy one share. If you're buying the Bs, you can get them for right now. I think they're almost $140 a share. But that, that makes up such a small portion of his overall portfolio, those B shares, that it doesn't really have any impact over the total valuation of the business. So um, it's, it's really interesting to see that both of them had the same exact model. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, when somebody asked, how did you start your fund? Um, Barbara answered um, that, like, you know, he looked around and uh, he he had already read about how Buffett had uh, structured his partnership and he saw that nobody was copying it for years. So he decided to just clone it exactly how Buffett had done it. So his fee structure is exactly what Buffett had for his partnership. That is uh, no management fee and one fourth of the returns after 6% of annual returns. Um, so that's very interesting. Uh, and he says like, you know, um, he, he's surprised that nobody cloned Buffett's partnership for a, for a very long period. Oh yeah. And that's also really something that surprises me because Warren Buffett is very keen on teaching everybody about, um, about investing and he, he's not holding anything back. So since Warren Buffett has been so keen on, you know, telling what he's been doing, why do you think that's so Few people as Popeye uh, are actually doing the same thing as Warren Buffett, Harry. That's a great question, Stig. Um, in fact, uh, I believe Charlie Munger answered it the best in one of the um, annual meetings when somebody asked why why aren't people following this method. He said people would die before um, they follow this method. That's because it works against a lot of human nature. There is more psychology involved here than temper uh, than intelligence. As Buffett says that if you got a lot of uh, IQ, throw give it away to somebody else because you need more temperament than um, uh, intelligence in investing. Uh, to follow Buffett's methodology, uh, you need to have patience. Also, you need to defy instant gratification. You should understand the business investing should be the process should be appealing to you rather than the end result. Um, and also, it's just the nature of uh, investing business. I feel that a lot of fund manager, even though they know what's the right way to invest, like following the Buffett's way, they're not able to because their investors are not patient with them. Um, uh, many funds uh, like, you know, if they are not able to show results uh, quarter over quarter or year over year, investors would pull their funds out of uh, such funds. And hence, uh, to survive, they have to follow the crowd, show the results. If they go down along with the market, nobody complains. But if they, if they lag the market, uh, then people will pull out their funds. So uh, in investing uh, world, I believe it works both ways. Yeah. I have a point real fast. So a lot of people don't realize this, but Berkshire Hathaway, a lot of people think that Berkshire Hathaway is a fund. They don't think that it's an actual company, but it is a company. And one of the things that I think is really unique that Buffett's done is he's actually taken this, um, uh, you know, uh, people, the shareholders are giving you the money or they're, they're if you're in a fund, I should say, uh, they're giving you the money at the wrong time. They're giving you all the money whenever the market's climbing. And then whenever the market crashes, they're wanting to take that money away from you, which totally handicaps that fund manager from being able to buy uh, stocks and equities at a very cheap price whenever the market had crashed. And so what Buffett did is he literally took that model and flipped it on its head 
Okay. And because it it's his own company, he actually has the opportunity that whenever people want to sell his company at a very cheap price, he then as the as as a shareholder can or as the manager of the company can just buy back those shares at an extremely cheap price. And then if the let's say the market was overvaluing Berkshire extremely high, he could actually issue more shares in order to collect, you know, cash for the for those shares. He does he hasn't done that, but he could and he's basically taken advantage of that market psychology so much so that that's how he modeled his his company and i you know i wouldn't be surprised if pobri would somehow do that in the future if he felt like and i think he's really kind of protected himself with the the threshold that it costs to get into his fund but um i you know it's just really interesting how these gentlemen have basically protected themselves from the those types of investors and those types of people that would be investing in their fund or their company yeah, Preston, in fact, you, you made an interesting point. Um, Pabra is actually cloning the Berkshire model as well. In fact, he announced uh, Dando Holdings uh, in his annual meeting this year. There you go. Um, and uh, his um, this Dando Holding will be a holding company. The first acquisition is a uh, insurance company called. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. He is cloning them. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. don't know this, but Berkshire's biggest engine is is Geico, which is, you know, a huge insurance company. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. So the first acquisition um, is actually an insurance company. It's called a Stone Trust Insurance and they're into worker comp. Uh, so I can see that, you know, uh, Monish is now going after the float. And um, and also, I think uh, his 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 plan is to acquire uh, more subsidiaries wholly owned. But he said he will also not shy away from investing in um, public companies uh, or creating a portfolio inside the holdings. So he is essentially uh, creating a new Berkshire. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, do you ever wonder how investors like Peter Thiel have Roth IRAs worth billions? Many do more than just save a portion of their income, invest it in the stock market, and cross their fingers and hope it grows enough to retire on. The secret is they use something called a self-directed IRA, which has all the tax advantages we love, but with a twist. Instead of being stuck with stocks, bonds, and cookie cutter options, a self-directed IRA with New Direction Trust Company allows you to invest your retirement savings in what you know and what you're passionate about. From real estate to startups to gold and silver, there are nearly unlimited investment options. You could even finance and set the terms of a loan. You name it, NDTCO will help you fund it. We're not saying you'll be the next Peter Thiel, but we're not not saying that either. Because his secrets are now your secrets. Check out New Direction Trust Company and self-directed IRAs today at ndtco.com and unlock the potential of your retirement savings. That's ndtco.com. Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. 
Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash business gold card. All right, back to the show. Wow. Hey, so when you were at the meeting, did you get to meet him? Did you get to interact with him at all? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, the meeting uh, was in um, uh, Soko University and near Irvine. Uh, one of the interesting thing that I found was uh, it was a casual atmosphere. Um, there were fewer than 200 people there. Most of them were either uh, his investors uh, in his funds or bloggers or uh, people like me who follow him. And uh, uh, since it was a small crowd, Monish uh, walked around before the meeting started, uh, shook hands, introduced himself, spoke to most of us. And even after the meeting, uh, he had hosted a dinner for all the people attending the meeting. And during the dinner, we could all get one-on-one time with Monish for a couple of minutes. We talked about investing, his philosophy about life, current matters. So it was a very friendly atmosphere. In fact, I have heard about um, Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting during the early 80s, where uh, there were very few, probably a couple dozen people attending those meetings. I kind of felt maybe it is similar. And I, I feel like those people should be very privileged because they could have interacted with Buffett, asked him questions and uh, picked on his brain on a lot of topics. So yeah, it was fun. And yes, I, we could talk to Manish. Okay, Harry, it sounds like a great meeting and sounds something that I want to attend myself. Um, what was the main takeaway that you got from this meeting with uh, Mr. Paparai? Uh, so one of the main... Um, main discussion points in the meeting was uh, Dunda Holdings. And my main takeaway was that if, according to what Pabrai says, if it goes um, according to the way he is planning, Dunda Holding can be a great entry point uh, for many investors. Uh, but I would also like to caution that um, we don't know how he will operate Dunda Holdings. Um, and we don't know uh, whether he'll be able to replicate uh, Buffett's performance. Uh, with Berkshire. But nonetheless, uh, I would be interested to look into his company. By the way, Dunda Holdings is planning to go public uh, in 2015. I was just going to ask you that question. Okay. So he's going to take the thing public in 2015. He'll probably bring the the initial offering price per share, probably at like a $100,000 price point, I'd imagine. It, did, he en- did he mention any of that? Like what price point are you bringing in at? No, he didn't go into the details. Uh, he did mention about the plans to go public. Um, but he, <laughs> I love this. This is awesome. Yeah. So it, it will be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, uh, kind of you know structure for sure. Uh, right now, um, it's um, it's structured as a special purpose investing vehicle, uh, which means that he has certain time limit before um, the money is pulled back out of this uh, out of this holding if it is not invested. 
So uh, he has few investors who, uh, who, who have pulled in money for him. And uh, he is uh, looking into acquisitions. And one of his main acquisitions is the insurance company I just mentioned. Uh, if it goes through, uh, then the holding will come into existence this year. And hopefully by next year, they'll take it public. Well, so everyone out there, if, you, uh, if you're uh, worried about Buffett's age and you're worried about Berkshire Hathaway and where it's going over the next 30 years, uh, you might have something interesting here with uh, Paul Bry Funds and uh, his new holding company that he's standing up. Uh, Stig, you have one more question. Oh, yeah. So, Hari, this is one question that we like to, uh, to ask our guests because something that I have benefited tremendously from is just one single investment advice. But let's first hear from you. What is the best investment advice you ever received? That's a very good question, uh, Stig. Um, and it's a, it's a hard one to answer because there are so many investment advice that you would have got, especially for me from uh, Mr. Buffett and Mr. Charlie Munger. I have read so many of their books and also learned a lot. However, the one that made a big impact on my way of thinking was from Howard Marks, and it was from one of his uh, memos on risk and returns uh, to his uh, investors. Uh, in that, he says, um, in life and investing, you can't expect above average returns by doing what every, everyone else is doing. Uh, to me, this is simple and profound, and many times, at least I, I had a hard time to really get this uh, message. Uh, Buffett has been talking about it when he says, um, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Essentially, they're talking about being a contrarian investor. However, uh, most of us um, try to follow the herd. At least I have been following the herd. Whether it's value investing or trading, uh, you find comfort um, in following the crowd. And the reason is that um, through evolutionary uh, psychology, uh, it has been understood that our ancestors were equipped with certain uh, way of thinking, which kind of, you know, help them make quick decisions. And one of those is if all the animals are running in one direction, there must be some danger. So run along with them. So it's very hard to sometimes overcome that. And it requires a lot of discipline. I think the best way to overcome what you're talking about is knowledge. So I think a lot of people, when they're investing, they, they follow this group think and they follow this you know herd mentality because at the heart of it and the essence of what's actually happening, they really truly don't understand what they have their money in and what it represents. And I think that the more that a person understands and, and immerses themselves in it and what is a stock, what, what does it represent? What's behind on the balance sheet? What's on the income statement? What does what do those numbers mean? I think when a person starts educating themselves with that information and that knowledge, it is so much easier to think different than the crowd and to go in the, the opposite direction because you truly inherently understand what the essence of what it is that you own. Oh, yeah. So I definitely agree with you. Knowledge is really the key here. And I think that pretty much also wraps up uh, the whole thing that, that Warren Buffett and Mr. Popra is talking about here. That's really that you really need to have knowledge to not do the same thing as the herd. So, Hari, uh, if anyone from our audience would want to get a hold of you or uh, learn more about you or what you write, I know that you have a blog. Um, where could they find you at? Yes, uh, Preston. So I share my experiences and my learning in my blog, uh, com. Uh, it's B-I-T-S 
business. Um, and uh, anybody can uh, interact with me there. Um, I have a user request form as well, which they can um, kind of, you know, ask questions and I, I'll be glad to answer. I know one of the things that I went to Hari's uh, blog for is uh, he sometimes does a recap of uh, uh, discussions from some of these shareholders meetings. So if you wanted to see like some of the notes from the Berkshire meeting, Hari posts that on there. He he posts a, a bunch of really kind of quite interesting articles. So I highly recommend that it's Bits Business uh, in order to uh, find uh, Hari. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes. So if there's anything that you're interested in, whether it was a book we were talking about or uh, any of these websites, we're going to all have that on the on the show notes for uh, theinvestorspodcast.com. Just go to episode four and you can find all those show notes. So if you have any question for us, uh, we want to hear your voice. Uh, go to asktheinvestors.com. Uh, right there, you can record your question. We'll play it on the show. And if for whatever reason, your question does get played on the show, we'll send you a free signed copy of our book, The Warren Buffett Accounting Book. Um, be sure to tune in next week. Uh, we have an episode and an interview with a former trader from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, his name is Mr. Greg Pisani, and we're really looking forward to having him. So uh, I'd like to thank everyone for uh, joining us today, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Investor's Podcast. To listen to more shows or access to the tools discussed on the show, be sure to visit www.theinvestorspodcast.com. Submit your questions or request a guest appearance to The Investor's Podcast by going to www.asktheinvestors.com. If your question is answered during the show, you will receive a free autographed copy of the Warren Buffett Accounting Book. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This material is copyrighted by the TIP Network and must have written approval before commercial application. 